Spring deals at Ross will have you saying, it's a yes for me. Say yes to trending looks like tube tops, dad shorts, and mini skirts for less than online, or vintage tees and beach shorts for a weekend getaway. With all the styles to choose from, there's a yes around every corner. Because saving money and looking good is what you do. It's a yes for you and your bank account. Hit up Ross for your certified yes for me moment. In order to support this show and keep providing you tons of free content week after week, we need the help of some great advertisers. And we want to make sure those advertisers are ones that you actually want to hear about. But we need to learn a little bit more about you to make that possible. So go to podsurvey.com slash she and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better so that we can bring on advertisers that you won't want to skip through. Once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. But again, that's P-O-D com slash she. Thanks for your help. Yeah, we have a biological child, but our call is to love our neighbor's child as if they're our own as well, regardless of if they're with us forever or 24 hours. And my, we would never make a decision to welcome the child into our home without it being well thought out and making sure that our permanent children are equipped to handle that. Yeah. And I just, I I don't believe really in the concept of other people's children because I think that community needs to be around all of our children. You're listening to She with Jordan Lee Dooley, a personal development podcast for the everyday woman. Come invited, leave ignited. Here's your host, Jordan Lee Dooley. Hey, Laura. Welcome to She. Hi. Thanks for having me. I'm excited about today. Yes. So happy to have you. I am so thankful that we connected and we've been trying to get this podcast uh, recorded for a while. So I'm glad we're sitting down (laughs) to do it. But before we dive into all the questions I have for you, I'd love if you can just share a little bit of your story and what led you to becoming a foster parent and what does that experience look like? I'd love if you can just share for those who may not know you. Yeah, of course. So my name is Laura Hackney. Um, my husband and I have been, we've been married for five years, but we've been together for over a decade. And we started dating when I was in college. And there was kind of a situation um, in me up in the hospital and I was told that I wouldn't be able to have children. So that kind of started our conversations very early on of what would family expansion look like. Mm-hmm. And when I said, you know, I don't want to really pursue IVF or IUI, et cetera. Mm-hmm. We kind of landed on adoption, but we didn't know anything about it. Mm -hmm. And so then when we got married, we were very shocked to get pregnant immediately and we weren't trying. And so it was just kind of one of those things of like, Lord, I'm confused. I don't know why you have for five years told us. Yeah, yeah, I'm thankful, but I'm also so confused. Yes, Um, Yeah, it was very confusing. And so then I just had this feeling like my call on motherhood wasn't complete or answered and I couldn't figure out why. And so when our daughter was about a year and a half, I said, I think that we have to start pursuing adoption. And my husband's like, oh, okay. Like we're still living in a trailer at this point. Like not, <laughs> we're like struggling to make ends meet, but we just felt really called to start pursuing. And so through a lot of research, we ended actually up on a foster to adopt dad. And we were like, oh, this is perfect. This is what we'll do. We'll save kids from the system. And immediately upon our first training, we were shell-shocked. Uh, this is not what foster care is. Mm-hmm. 
And we left that meeting, just my husband and I, in an agreement of let's just think on this because this is a lot different than, you know, just welcoming a child into your home. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And before our second meeting, my husband looked at me and said, this is what we're doing. I feel very clear discernment that this is where we are being led. And I'm like sobbing because I'm like, that's exactly how I feel too, but we hadn't spoken about it. And so we continued onward and now we've been foster parents for over two years and we've had six children, five children, three teenagers and two littles. And then we have our biological daughter. You know, I think so much of what you share, there's like so many things I want to hit on just because I think there's a lot there. But I think first, even the almost like the dichotomy or like the the double edge sword, it's not the right word to say way to say it, but like the the blessing of, oh my gosh, this thing I thought was impossible suddenly is possible happening at the same time where you had so much clarity on what you felt was your call and what your like life would look like. And then all of a sudden for that to be disrupted by a blessing, but also like, wait, what? Like, I think that's an important thing to talk about because you know, I think when people assume or when people hear like you're fostering or fostering to adopt or adopting, like it's seen as like, oh, that was your last ditch effort. You're re- like, that's the the backup plan. That's how a lot of times I think it's seen. And I think it's really powerful and beautiful that you said, no, you know what? We don't might not be able to have kids, but let's treat this as plan A. Like you didn't just, you know, you weren't like, okay, we're going to exhaust all of our fertility options and then we'll go do this. You were like, if this is a call on our life, we're going to do it. And I think that's so important. Even if you, like, even though you then were able to have a child biologically, it was still a call on your life. And I want people to hear that from the beginning of this conversation because I think, and I'm sure you've probably run into this too, where I think there's almost this idea or this notion that like those who struggle with fertility are the ones who should be adopting. And it's like, not that there's something wrong with that, but I think it's sometimes seen as like, that's the last ditch effort. That's the backup plan. That's where you go. And it's like, no, if this is a call on your life, then that's something that has to take precedent. It has to be number one. And I don't know. I just, I think it, it's an important, I think this, just the way that you, or your journey with it is so important to share that perspective of it can be plan A and it might be God's plan A for you. And if you're open to that and you have your heart open, you're going to feel that conviction when he leads you there, like with your husband and you being on the same page and him align, God aligning your hearts. I'm like, this is what we're called to do. You know, that didn't change because you had a biological child or because you got pregnant and it wasn't necessarily treated as like the backup plan necessarily in the same, in the way that we often, I think in society sometimes see it or hear it, hear it being talked about that way. I don't know if you have a thought on that, but I feel like that's just an important thing to hit on. Yeah, I completely agree. And a lot of times when we were, you know, we were dating the time. So my now husband was like, when we were talking about it with friends, I'd be like, Oh, well, you guys should still try. There's so many options now. And we were just very clear and concrete of mm-hmm. that is not the the pursuit on our heart. Like mm-hmm. if we felt like we should pursue these options, that is what we would have decided. But yep. it was very clear and evident from the word go mm-hmm. that that's not the steps that we should be taking. Yeah. And so our hands are just like fully open to this is what the Lord is have you know having for us. Yes. And then it was kind of like that was clearly our plan A. And then to get married, be in a very financial hard season, and then to get pregnant. And then everyone around quickly was like, wow, look, now you guys don't have to adopt. Right. Now you guys that, don't have to step into this ministry. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we were like, whoa, I mean, maybe, mm-hmm. but right now, to be frank, we don't feel the change of that call on our life. Yes. Like that is not where we are. Yes. And I think it really shocked people how early we started also pursuing our next steps because they were like, your daughter's only one and a half. Why would you start pursuing this now? And by the time we were licensed, she was... Our first placement, our son, who's now adopted Pablo, he came to us when he was four days old and she was two and a half. Mm. 
And so that really just like shook up some feathers and stirred up some feelings and emotions. And we were like, we've told you guys since day one, this is plan A for us. This Mm -hmm. was never... That that has never wavered and never changed, and it has been very clear. Yeah, yeah. I'm so thankful that you shared that. I mean, it's something similar. I mean, similarly in different ways, but it's something that my husband and I also felt like from the time we were engaged, before we ever thought about kids, before we ever thought like how many kids we'd want. Like none of the family planning had started, but we always one thing we talked about was at some point we want to adopt. Like we feel like that's a calling, and this was long before we ever knew we would have these challenges or struggles with pregnancy loss and things like that. And it wasn't even super long into our journey. We hadn't been like trying to have a family for very long when we felt like the Lord was like, treat both as plan A, open both doors. Don't mm-hmm. ha- like, don't wait till it's 10 years down the road and it's your last ditch effort. And I'm not saying it's like, it's not like a judgment thing to those who choose that after a fertility journey. But I think the, the message I'm trying to send here is like adoption is a calling and like something that you mentioned where people were like, oh, now you don't have to adopt. Like it's not this obligatory ministry for the infertile. Like I think that's sometimes yeah. how it's talked about. And I just, think that's not a burden we can put on adopted children either to like fix that for somebody who might be struggling to have biological kids or it's not like a oh you don't have to do that now or you you have to do that because that's all you, that's your only option or whatever like i just think the mindset and the the understanding around it needs to change and the language around it needs to change a little bit and i just think the way that you guys pursued it and your heart and your story is so important for people to hear that it isn't necessarily just a plan B and that it is a call, not just sometimes how it's talked about. So thank you for for being open about that and sharing that. I think it's an important thing to understand. In that same kind of vein of conversation, I want to tackle this false idea that a lot of people, you know, that have kids who are in foster care or that they choose to place for adoption are, you know, kids they don't want or aren't loved or aren't cared for by their birth families. I want to hear what's your response to that. Uh, I just love that you want to get right into this. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, we're going there at this point. Yeah, we're going straight in. I am a fierce, fierce advocate for biological families and first families. And I, man, we just tackle this so many rounds of people who are like, wow, did they not love her? Did they not love him? Did they just put him up? Why is this teenager in your care? Were they just like not cared for? They were just forgotten about. And I'm like, no, guys, like these parents are here and they're showing up and they are fiercely loving their children. Now, listen, they might have a priority in the wrong order. They might not understand the way that priorities should be due to generational cycles that have not been broken. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that they're not taking steps to actually break those generational cycles. Yeah. And where it gets, I think, personally mixed up a lot is when foster families or adoptive families are not pursuing that relationship. Mm-hmm. And because oftentimes we'll see or hear rather a biological or a foster family or adoptive family saying, oh, their birth family is just so X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that's oftentimes due to the fact that we're gatekeeping their children from them. Mm-hmm. And that's not how it should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should be volunteer. Like we did nothing to deserve their child. Yep. And that's the bottom line. So I will joyfully send pictures. I will joyfully ask for shared parenting. I will joyfully allow them to select, even if it's like a Halloween costume. I personally don't care if they want to wear something for Halloween. Mm -hmm. And it has brought and reaped beautiful dividends by welcoming them into that. Mm -hmm. I'm so thankful you shared that. I think there's a lot of fear around this idea of openness, whether it's in a foster relationship, adoptive relationship, or both. And I think before you really understand it, I know at the beginning of our journey, not even before, like before we even started adoption, it was actually when we were with Safe Families. And that's kind of like, kind of like foster care, but a slightly different um, experience. But similarly, I remember when we were trying to start to talk to like, maybe this is the time we get home study ready and like start this process a little bit. 
the idea of like an open adoption at first can be a little intimidating when you don't know and you don't understand. So I would just be curious, like, what would you say to someone who's like, I can't understand why you would have an open want want to have an open relationship? Like, how is that beneficial if somebody's choosing not to parent their child? I, I would just love to hear your heart and perspective on that. Yeah, I think it, it just kind of starts out with your child's identity is partially in them. They see themselves, they see their story. And even though you are now a, a new chapter for them, their biological and first family are who they know. And when it comes to even something as like a medical situation or their hair color or their eye color, or when they go to school and they have to build out a family tree, their identity is tied there. And when you go in and you just humbly look at them the way the Lord looks at them and say, this is my neighbor. This isn't yeah. some horrible human that is just the worst person of the worst. This is my neighbor. And we were called to love our neighbors as the Lord is love us. Yeah. And I think when we think of it like that versus this intimidating thing, all you have to do is pursue, pursue their heart over and over again, because there is going to be friction. There are going to be times that you guys disagree, but when you just continuously show up and pursue them, that is when things start to get smoother and smoother. And when they see how well you were loving, not only their child, but loving them and that you're not trying to erase them, right. that friction starts to fall apart. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. I love that that visual of like not trying to erase them because I do think sometimes that's how it can be seen as like, oh, they're your child now. So that's it. Right. And it's like, no, there's a whole other, there's a whole origin here, you know, and to, and to act as if that's not there and pretend it's not there is not serving your child ultimately in, in the long term and the big picture and the, the dynamics and the specifics of how that will work out is going to be different in every situation. But I remember I had a friend as I was kind of exploring this and learning for myself years ago about this. I had a friend who had adopted a couple of different times and she was sharing her her thoughts on this. And she told me, she's like, you know, I think sometimes when you don't know, I mean, this idea of open adoption or open relationship can be scary and overwhelming because there's this idea that like a birth family or a first family is like this mysterious, dark family looming in the shadows, like ready to, you know, mm-hmm. cause a problem. And it's like, but then when you know, when you put a face to who those people are and you come, you come to love them in a very special way that you almost can't explain until you have that type of relationship. It's like that's not yeah. the case at all, you know. And you actually come to love them, like like you said, like a neighbor, like a friend, um, like a very special, you know, uh, extension of your family. And yeah, I mean, we've had a beautiful opportunity of being able to like welcome in our son's mom's, and, well, and our teen's parents too, but specifically our son's mom. And she came to our house for her second birthday recently, mm-hmm. and it was one of the first times her husband has interacted with her in in like a face to face level in the way that I have, mm-hmm. and. When she left, he came up to me and said, we need to talk about this. And I was like, oh no, like what happened? Mm-hmm. And he said, I felt for the first time that I did not deserve her son. Mm-hmm. I felt for the first time that I didn't know how to parent our son because it's also her son. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to do anything to damage that relationship that we've worked so hard to build. And he said, it was just one of those moments that made me sit in my seat and just realize this is a normal woman who loves her children fiercely and is here to celebrate her son's birthday. And there's so many misconceptions about who she is because of a sheet of paper. Mm. But the reality is that she is a loving mother. Yeah. Uh, That's so powerful and so true. I think 
there's so much I could say to that, but like, I just, I'm thankful you shared that, that story. And I, I think it's important for even just for families and people who might be listening to hear that from a, from a man's perspective too. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I don't, I think there's naturally a hesitancy when, before you begin to understand and really like step into this world more. But then I know I've, I've heard from plenty of women that like, well, my husband isn't really on board with the idea of openness because they might be more protective or they might be trying to have healthy boundaries or whatever. But sometimes like, it's like, you can do this in a way with boundaries. You're not like, you can do this in a healthy way, but that doesn't mean you shut them out or erase them like you mentioned earlier right. and i think sometimes you know the natural sometimes male response in certain in certain relationships is like well let's not you know and i think when they have a chance to sit down and across the table and look into the that person's eyes and connect with them and see their heart and know they, they, they grow to love them in a way that they've never expected to you know in, in most cases and they grow to respect them in a way maybe they didn't before or didn't think that they would um, and i think that's really important for people to hear so thank you for sharing that story Another thing I want to touch on too, and we have kind of hovered over this a bit, but I think it's important to to dig into a bit. What would you say are some of the well-intentioned but maybe misplaced statements you've heard people say to you about either fostering or adopting or both? And what would be better for people to say instead of some of those things? Yeah. Uh, frankly, the number one one that is personally just like the most triggering to me is the congratulations. Mm-hmm. And I know that it this multifaceted, mm-hmm. coexisting emotion kind of realm but I wheel, was wheeled out of a hospital carrying a four-day-old baby being told congratulations for people and coming home to having balloons posted up on my house. And while all of this was well-intended, it shattered. And I mean, shattered my heart because how could this be a congratulations moment when I have another woman's child and... He is not being held by her. He's not being consoled by her. And then as I'm trying to put him to bed at night, he is clearly has no idea who I am because he did not grow in my womb. I am not the voice he heard. I am not the smell he had for those first four days. Mm-hmm. And so I understand the intention behind it, but I would much rather someone say, man, this is heavy. How are you doing? Or how's mom doing? I can only imagine how hard this is for her. Or, wow, that's just a beautiful baby boy. <laughs> if, if, if talking about emotions makes you uncomfortable, then just don't say congratulations. Like, mm-hmm. don't lead into the emotional side of things. Yeah. And then I think the other one is just like the I could never. It's like, I could never do that because I'd get too attached. Or I could never do that because of X, Y, and Z. And I think the reality of that is that we prioritize our comfort so much. Yeah. And I mean, foster care is not for everyone to be foster parents, but there is a way that you can serve regardless. And when we view our life as this comfort and as if we are never supposed to step off of the bench, mm-hmm. then yeah, I understand those statements. But rather, hey, what can I do to help? Like, what can I do to serve your family? Like, I don't feel called to be a foster parent, but like, can I bring you a meal? Can I come sit with your teenager or take them out to coffee? Instead of just saying that I could never, like, put yourself into the role to understand history. Because oftentimes it's the people who are like, oh, I thought about this, but I could never. And I'm like, well, if you thought about it, then you should be doing something. Have you been wanting to make the switch to cleaner living and clean beauty, but feeling really overwhelmed on where to start and how to sift through all the different options out there? Friend, I get it. I have been there. When I first started my clean living journey, I was so overwhelmed and I was having such a hard time in one area in particular. I was having a really hard time finding beauty products that were clean, 
safe, toxin-free, but also really worked because the tricky part was I wanted to use clean products, but every time I would try clean makeup or clean shampoo or clean skincare, it just seemed like they didn't work as well as my old toxic favorites. And I found myself always wanting to go back to the more conventional stuff because it actually worked. My makeup stayed all day. My skincare was working well. So I was having a really hard time in this area until I discovered Crunchy. Crunchy is a high-performing, clean beauty brand that honestly performs just as well, if not better, than my old toxic favorites. Not only that, but they are eco-friendly, they're plastic positive, which means they take more plastic out of the environment than they put in, and they're also Leaping Bunny certified and cruelty-free as well as vegans. So if you've been looking for a clean option for makeup and skincare, for clean beauty, but you just need something that works well and that doesn't harm the environment and that doesn't harm animals... Crunchy is the place to be. I highly recommend starting with the primer and foundation when it comes to makeup or the cleansing bar and the Clarolite when it comes to the skincare. And if you use my link, you can get $10 off your first order. So just go to crunchy.com slash Jordan Dooley and the $10 off will apply on the last page of checkout to your first order. Or you can just tap the link in the show notes on this episode to shop with that link and get the $10 off applied to your first order. With two little kids, I do most of my shopping online now, but it can be so hard to shop for things like clothes online because I never know if I'm getting good quality until it arrives. The game changer, upgrading to high quality, affordable pieces from Quince. Now I have luxury essentials that transition from one occasion to the next, and I stayed on budget. Quince has so many options to choose from, like 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters for $50, organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, and timeless 14 karat gold jewelry. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. One of my favorite items from Quince is the silk pajamas I got. They are so high quality, luxury pajamas, but not at a luxury price tag. And I just feel like they don't even compare to some of the other pajamas that I have bought online or that I've bought um, just at various different stores. And like, these are incredible. <laughs> Indulge in affordable luxury by going to quince.com slash she for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash she to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash she. Thrive Market is a go-to for all your grocery and household essentials, and the convenience of getting everything online then quickly shipped to your doorstep is a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories, and you can use their on-site filters to suit your lifestyle needs. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks, low-sugar alternatives, or gluten-free pantry essentials, you can curate your own shopping experience with just a few clicks. And when you shop Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one for one membership matching program. You join and they give. I use Thrive Market every single month. I get our dish detergent, dish soap, and various other just basic household essentials that are low-tox and non-tox ingredients. And it is the easiest way to get all of my favorite clean items sent right to my door at an affordable price, I should add. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash she for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash she. Thrivemarket.com slash she. That's so true. Another one that I think of, at least for me personally, 
is when people say he or they or whatever are so lucky to have you like and i think that's that's coming from the perspective that adoption is like rescuing and yeah i love the quote by david platz is something we like we um we don't adopt because we are rescuers we adopt because we're rescued like we're not the hero coming in and saving the day Um, and i think that perspective is so humbling and important to remember it's like no because this is a, a ministry and a calling but it's not a we're coming in and saving the day and rescuing and this child's so lucky to have us like and one thing that i often say back when people say things to me like that is like we're the we're the blessed ones like we're not the heroes here you know like we've been blessed in that in this regard but this idea that oh they're so lucky to have you it's well-meaning again but it's like there's this Uh, it completely discredits the reality that there is a trauma and a separation that happens and a grief that happens and so while they're and i also think that that's the reality yeah yeah and i also think that like people also don't think what would the child think when they hear that statement Mm -hmm. how would my adopted son or son who's adopted feel Mm -hmm. that you're saying he's lucky Mm -hmm. to be in the situation like i don't think that there was any luck that happened here Mm -hmm. i feel like we live in a broken world and god's intention for family was to stay whole but sometimes wholeness has to be made in a way that it was never meant to that a way Mm -hmm. was made Mm -hmm. yeah that's a really true and powerful way to say that yeah so good so good yeah is there anything else that you would share on that note like in terms of other things people have said or is that are those kind of your main two that come to mind? Uh, I think those are my main two. Well, I guess there's one more that pops in my mind of the fact that we have a biological child in our home. Mm-hmm. And anytime we say yes, there's somebody in a circle somewhere that will say, well, when are you just going to stop taking care of other people's children? Focus on your own. And that one just hurts me on a deep level mm-hmm. because... Yeah, we have a biological child, but our call is to love our neighbor's child as if they are our own as well, regardless of if they're with us forever or 24 hours. And my, we would never make a decision to welcome a child into our home without it being well thought out and making sure that our permanent children are equipped to handle that. Yeah. And I just... I, I don't believe really in the concept of other people's children because I think that community needs to be around all of our children. Yeah. And so why would we not be doing that? Why would we not? If I can help one family, that's one family that had to help. And I will joyfully continue to say yes, as long as we are equipped and we are at a stable point that mm-hmm. we can say yes. Yeah, that's so good. So good. Okay, something else I want to touch on is the reality that both joy and grief as families are being created and separated and brought together in this way, um, both through foster care and adoption. What are your thoughts on that? How do you, what are your thoughts on like, how do you hold space for both those realities? Cause it's kind of the duality of there's, there's some joy in it and there's grief in it, there's trauma in it. So what is your thought and what, what would you say to somebody who's trying to figure out how to navigate that? I feel this so deeply. And I mean, on a daily basis, I don't mean like in general, like every day there are multiple moments where I'm like, wow, this is so beautiful. And wow, I wish X was happening too. Mm -hmm. And I think that people just need to embrace it because oftentimes for the people that are outside of the realm of foster care and adoption, they do not understand that there's so many going existing emotions. And so oftentimes we're told, Hey, just focus on the positive. Like, yeah, sure. There's all this, but you just need to focus on what's in front of you. I'm like, listen, I understand that, but I cannot separate these two because I'm doing a disservice to my child Mm -hmm. by doing that. And I think it is a part, like we have no right to be fragile as foster and adoptive families because there is so much complexity written within stories. Mm -hmm. 
And we have to take that cloak on. And so I think that we just acknowledge, honor that joy and grief. I mean, adoption day was one of the most heartbreaking days. And I know online, it looks like this beautiful celebration. Mm -hmm. I cried all day. I could not handle my emotions. I did not, I wasn't expecting the words that were going to be said by the judge. I didn't want to hear those. I didn't want to be there. And it it was awful. And so the people that understood that were safe places for me because it was too complex to explain to the mm-hmm. person outside of that realm. Yeah, it really is complex. Like I remember, I just remember being so overcome with emotion, the duality of it, but also there was so much grief that I didn't expect to feel Yeah, for my child, for their first family, but also just because I'm a human and I can like share in that there's a loss there that's happening there's a separation so as as much as it's like oh my gosh this is a gift in so many ways for us it doesn't come without grief and i remember just feeling that so deeply and and almost like not knowing how to process that almost you know and and having to talk with other adoptive and foster families who who understood that because those who had not been in that position saw the 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 one part of the duality of the the one side of the coin of joy this is great there's a child you know and, and yes there there's like so much love to be given and you know this child is so instantly loved and, and celebrated for their life and for their existence, but that doesn't take away that there is a, a grief that's there too. And I just remember being so overcome with emotion, similar to what you're saying. And I'm like, I did not expect to feel this way. I didn't know how I would feel. You know, you don't really know until you experience it. But I think that's important for people to know and to share and also to to normalize a little bit because I, I think it can be easy to be like, is something wrong with am I like not thankful in a way? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, so I yeah, think yeah, understanding yeah. that complexity is important and helpful for those who may be considering pursuing something like this, who may be feeling called to it, who may have experienced something like this and not have anyone to talk to who understands that yeah. feeling. So I'm thankful that you shared that. I think it really is helpful for those to hear, you know, those who may and I think it's yeah. And I think it's also important what you said is you don't understand what you're going to feel until it happens. Cause I remember like, hey, I'm equipped, I'm trauma informed, I've done all the preparation mm-hmm, yeah. that I can possibly do. And then we got the call to pick up our son from the hospital, but we were like the fifth in line because we were supposed to take older kids and siblings that we had no heart desire for a newborn. The Lord laughed and had other plans. Care. This was through foster care. Yeah, okay. this was through foster care. And so when we when I got to the hospital, I was like shaking in my boots because I said, how am I going to feel when I hold this baby? Am I just going to want to like keep him forever? Or am I genuinely, am I genuinely actually in this ministry for reunification? I was scared. Mm-hmm. And when he was put in my arms, it was just this weight. I have to get you home. And then he didn't go home. And so that was another layer of, I struggled with the adoption so much because I was like, I would never ask a mother to give me her son and just be like, Hey, can you terminate your parental rights? I know that you, you know, gave birth to him, but then I'm sitting here fighting for you to get him home. And when it didn't happen, I did not know what to do with that. And then fast forward, his adoptions finalized. Oh, wait, no, it wasn't at this point. I lied. We had our second teenager had just left our home. And a couple of weeks later, we got a call for hit another newborn. And we were like, absolutely not. <laughs> no newborns. And they were like, well, it's his biological sister. And we were like, of course, our answer is yes on the table. And then his adoption was finalized. And now we have this weird coexisting emotion here of, his adoption is finalized, but yet we are fighting fiercely for reunification for his sister. Mm. And what does that look like if she goes home? What did I just right. do to our right. shared son? Right. If she stays like, man, I feel like we failed another mission. Mm. And it just comes back to just literally submitting it to the Lord because I cannot, I can't bear 
those thoughts. Right. right. And you but I also have that. to feel them. Of course. Absolutely. And the, the complexity of that is just so in- incredibly difficult to wrap your mind around, even when you're in it, I'm sure. And then when you're not in it, you're like, oh, wow. It's not as simple as like, oh, sweet baby comes home and hopefully yeah. you get to keep it forever. You know, like as my, even right. when you even when you love that child, even when you long to be, you know, a parent or their parents or whatever. I remember feeling that through different cases with, say, families, the complexity of wanting to fight for that family and or for different families and help them, you know, in whatever way you can. And a lot of times it looks like just standing in the gap. But then there's also really heartbreaking, heartbreaking experiences that are so complex and hard to wrap your mind around that you almost don't know what to do with that. So, yeah, thank you for sharing that. That's a really important perspective, I think, for people to have just what it really can be like. Um, And it's not as simple as you just say yes. And then you have this baby and then a year later they're adopted. And it's like, Yay, you know, even if there yeah. is even if there is joy in that, like if that is how there's if that's how the circle of their story is closing and that's how God wrote their story, it's like we can celebrate what God's doing in that while also grieving the brokenness that has to exist for that to happen, if that makes sense. Yeah. Acknowledging yeah. that. Okay. Another question I have is about being the res- or about the responsibility of being your child's story holder. Like as a foster parent or an adoptive parent, mm. we have the responsibility of being the story holder for the child. Can you talk about the importance of keeping parts of their story private from people who want to know about their background and the importance of dressing of addressing any trauma from their story with them? Yeah, I we keep everything on lockdown. We do not share anything. And it, it's challenging because you want to share with your intimate circle. You want to be able to be like, man, this is what's going on and this is why and this is the situation. But it's not safe. Just like you wouldn't go to your your in-laws to like complain about your husband. Like they're never gonna, or your parents to complain about your husband because you would never, they would never unsee that side of yeah. what you have shared. Yeah. And it's the same thing for your child. Like their story deserves to be pr- protected until they are ready to tell it. Mm-hmm. And I know that it's just because they're curious and that like mm-hmm. who's not curious by nature, right. but it is not my place to say those things. And it's with our teenagers, I find it equally as challenging just with the school system because I want to go to the school and be like, this is why everything is happening, mm-hmm. but I can't because I am a story holder. And so I am like, due to some trauma, we will see these behaviors and this is how we handle mm-hmm. that behaviors. Mm-hmm. And it's just so critical because the other thing is as our children get older, they're going to know what you said. They're going to know if you shared their entire story. Mm -hmm. They're going to know if you posted it all online, like they're going to see that. And for them to lose the autonomy over their own story Mm -hmm. is just another traumatic experience for them. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's so true. And I think that that's, I think the thing that I've had to navigate personally, and I think a lot of people have to navigate, but some may not even consider and why I want to share this is I think there's this I don't know if the right what the right word is, but I think it's like when you share like your experience, you have to be very careful that you're only sharing your experience and really filtering and protecting and guarding the things that are not your experience or that are not yours to share. And it can be a fine line, and it's not like any of us do it perfectly. You know, I think especially in the world of social media, when where you want to raise awareness or you want to share about a certain topic or whatever, but you don't want to do that at your child's expense where they'll look back in 10 years and be like, I didn't know that. Why didn't I get to share that? You know, and it's like, it can be so tricky to navigate and there's grace, you know, I think no one's going to do this perfectly, but you got to be careful because you don't want to be exploitative and you don't want to share, overshare something that's really not yours to share. And 
that is not easy in the world where people are curious. They feel like whether it's people that follow you online that you don't know or close family and friends, like I think people feel like they're entitled to that information, maybe because they've been close to you or they're a friend or because they've supported you in your experience or your journey or whatever it might be. And it's like, but they're not. And you having to set the boundary can be really awkward and uncomfortable, Um, but it's incredibly important for the long-term health of your child. So I'm, yeah, I'm thankful that you shared that. Yeah. And I also think what you said of we share only from our perspective, like we've, like we only say our side of the story of things that have happened. Yeah. And it's, it is challenging to be frank. Again, like you said, no one does it perfect, mm-hmm. but it is so important to only share your side of the story yep. because your child is going to have a different perspective. And we have such a braided love with our children who have come to us through foster care and adoption mm-hmm. that that's a part of that braided love. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a really, beautiful term too and a good way to put it. Okay. Another thing I want to ask, I feel like I could dive even deeper into that, but I want to make sure that I'm being respectful of your time. So one of the thing I wanted to ask for, or just ask your input on is something that I get asked a lot too, but what resources or books uh, would you recommend that would help somebody maybe be a little bit better equipped for helping with trauma responses, better understanding the realities of foster care and adoption or both? What what was helpful for you? What books or resources did you really lean into or have you re- recommended to others? Yeah. So for books specifically, The Boy Who Was Raised by a Dog is a great book mm. and really dives into trauma. It's a very easy read because it is just so enticing of like, wow, this is wild, but really gives time kind of behind the lens. Mm-hmm. And then The Body Keeps Score is another great trauma-informed mm-hmm. yeah. book that is phenomenal to read. Mm-hmm. And then Foster the Family book came out, like, sure, we already foster parents, but that is also an easy read and really, really great. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think the, those three books specifically are wonderful. Now, if you are already in it and you're like, wow, I don't know what these trauma responses are, there's this book. It's, oh man, why am I blanking on it? It's like A to Z trauma or something like that. I'll have to email it to you or something. Okay. But you literally just look up what the behavior is and then you can see, hey, if I'm seeing lying, here are the reasons that this could occur. Here are appropriate ways to respond due to this being trauma mm-hmm. or from trauma. Mm-hmm. And that that has also been extremely helpful. However, in the world of social media, I think finding former foster youth and adoptees to follow are very helpful because even though it can make you extremely uncomfortable, some of the things that they'll talk about, you need to sit in the uncomfortableness and be like, I do not want to make that same mistake. Mm -hmm. I want to protect this child. Yeah. So like Tina Bauer, McLeod Life, Tony Peterson are three, yeah, are three phenomenal people to follow on social media. Yeah. I've been following McLeod Life. I'll follow the other two, but she, just that one account has been so helpful and informative for me personally. So I love that. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing those. Another one I found really helpful, especially if you do, whether you foster um, a newborn or an infant, and then if that turns into an adoption or if you adopt a newborn or an infant, Primal Wound is a really eye-opening mm. read and, and helpful to understand too if you're like, oh, because sometimes people will comment like, it's a good thing you adopt them as a baby or you got them as a baby because then they don't have the trauma. It's like, <laughs> no, oh boy. Yeah. So then it's like, I yeah. think without, if you're not informed, you don't know, it's easy to be like, yeah, <laughs> you know? And so uh, don't go in with the misconception of the idea that that's somehow makes it, you just you, like avoid all of that. And this book, that book can be really helpful for understanding some of those things too. So awesome. Okay. Well, Laura, I won't take any more of your time, but where can we learn more from you? I think you share a lot of really helpful information and I would just love to point people in your direction if they have felt called to these ministries of foster care and adoption. Yeah. I am just on Instagram. 
hanging out over there. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's really all I do. I, funny enough, actually only even started talking about this stuff because we had a teenager that was like, when I moved in or when I came into foster care, I knew nothing about it. So I went to TikTok to learn and there was nothing but really scary stuff. Hmm. And I said, oh, okay. And she's, so then we were like her third or fourth foster home. And so when she moved in and had told me this, I was like, wow. And then she said, you should start talking about stuff. I said, okay. Mm. And so then that has been very fruitful in a very unexpected way. Yeah. What's, so, what's your I'm Instagram just, handle for those who want to follow? Yeah. Up? It's weird. It's just the Laura Ann with an underscore at the end. Awesome. Well, we'll put a link to that in the show notes so that it's easy to find. Okay. But awesome. And we'll link to those books and those resources you recommended as well for those who want to check it out. But thank you so much for your time and for the, for the just openness and, and the heart behind what you're doing. I've learned a lot from you. I know plenty of people will. I think it's an I think when you're in this world and when you're in this calling, it's an ongoing learning process and you continue to to learn more. You begin to be more aware of things. It's a I don't think you ever just like arrive at this place of understanding it. But I think the more that we can learn, the more we can share with each other, the better we're going to be for it. So thank you for all that you're doing. Yeah, of course. I'd love to hear from you. It makes me so happy to see you tuning into this show. So if you're on Instagram, let me know what your favorite part of the show was by taking a screenshot of the episode you've tuned into and share it on your story. Tag me at Jordan Lee Dooley and tell me what your favorite quote or takeaway from today's show was so that I can see what's helping you and even feature what you share. This keeps me inspired and encouraged to keep creating new content. And it's a great way to share something that your friends might love too. I can't wait to see you in Instagram world, my friend. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about the She Podcast or to get involved in Jordan's growing community, visit jordanleedooley.com. Thanks for joining in today. Until next time, remain committed to intentional choices that refine your heart, faith, health, and work because your story is much too important to settle for anything less.